0: and one. Swing and a drive, get up ball, get out of here, and grand slam for Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Here's the 3-2 pitch. Swing and a drive, deep to center, get up ball, get out of here, gone. His second home run of the night to straightaway center. Swing and a drive, get up ball, get out of
1: It's At The Letters, presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Today is Wednesday, April 28th. I'm Arden Zwelling, that's Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers, as per usual, Christian Ryan, and Mike Tassoni. Ben, uh, it's Wednesday morning, so we are coming off of uh, the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 3 home run game, uh, and so it really wouldn't make sense to talk about Anything else? I feel like I should just kind of like cede the floor to you here because I feel like you have been basically anticipating this game and this performance for about three years. Yeah,
2: that's right. It really was something to behold. I mean, not only did he hit the three home runs, but the first two of them came against an inner circle Hall of Famer, the first one was a grand slam. Um, and it was a point in the game when the Jays were trailing 3-0 so they're really significant home runs just on many levels and you know, it, it was an incredible game. You know, of course, it would have been so much more fun to see that at Rogers Center and have Jay's fans uh, have the chance to serenade Vladdy with, I'm sure, what would have been thousands of hats celebrating his home run hat trick. But, you know, even as it was an incredible moment for him to to hit three homers afterwards, he said it was the best game of his career and hard to argue with that. But, you know, Arden, I don't know where you land on how what to make of this first month what to make of those three homers in that game but to me this is it's almost best case scenario like it's almost as perfect as you possibly could have drawn it up for the blue jays for this first month of 2020 2021.
1: yeah because it's not just a, an incredible game it's an incredible month you know yeah. it's like a 1200 ops month uh and so is is that ops gonna be that high come august and come september doubtful But uh, we are seeing uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just becoming what basically everybody in baseball would have told you for the last three, four, five years that he was going to become, you know, like we we were all writing about this like in 2017 and 2018 about like, hey, this kid's special, like his ability is preternatural. You know, you talk to people in the game and they say things about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that they don't say about other players and I guess you know you could say like it took a while to materialize but like I don't know man did it <laughs> it's like 22 Two yeah. <laughs> it really didn't take that yeah. long you know like it's just like another reminder that like to just as consumers of this sport you have to have some patience yep. like you have to let things play out like Ben to go back what eight months ago to the questions we would have been asked in radio interviews and the, you know, the feedback we were getting from fans about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and just the discourse around him eight months ago. And then now to look at today where he is like legitimately been one of the top three offensive producers in the game of baseball, like at the highest level of the sport. Um, I mean, this was always possible and this was always something that could happen when you just consider the actual context really didn't take that
2: long it really wasn't that long to wait right his his major league debut was almost exactly two years ago and he debuted at 20 which incredibly incredibly young this is not some you know late career breakout this is young a young player just now entering his prime and it sure looks like he is entering his prime when you look at this month what he's been able to do it's not just the results. I mean, the three homer game, all the seven RBIs, you look at the OPS, it's incredible, but it's also how he's doing it. And we've we've touched on this before, but it bears repeating. He's walking more than he strikes out. The quality of contact is incredible. He is moving better, objectively speaking. He is also fielding better. So really, we're not talking about the same player that we were answering questions about in July of 2020, when he showed up to summer camp by his own admission out of shape. We're talking about a different player, someone who looks different, moves differently and performs way differently. And for the Blue Jays, this is an incredible development. It's not totally unforeseen or totally surprising because as you said, I mean, we were wondering about this and people in the Blue Jays organization were have been wondering about this and trying to make this a reality for years, but you know, if if we had been talking even a month ago, like literally one month ago, what's the best case scenario for the month of April 2021 for the Jays? Like, what's the single best thing that could happen for this team? You know, and maybe it's Nate Pearson emerges and he looks like an ace. He's pitching like Walker Bueller, Jacob deGrom, or maybe it's Boba takes a step forward. Boba has been been really good offensively, but maybe it's he starts to look like Corey Seager, Fernando Tatis. To me, I'd say this is probably the single best outcome that could have happened to the Blue Jays, is for Vlad Jr. to be hitting like Manny Ramirez in in a way that looks sustainable. So, yes, it's one game. Yes, it's one month. But also, there's so many hints here. There's so many indications that what he's doing is a reflection of real skill, that this has to be one of the more encouraging developments possible for the Blue Jays. In the course of this first month for me it's
1: it's the process and the approach right and we can even go back like just to the weekend in tampa when uh vlad kind of looked like 2019 vlad again a little bit like he was expanding i felt like he was pressing at the plate a little bit like the plate appearances were were just a little suspect and he made the adjustment from then like he didn't let that kind of crater him and and become a slump he kind of realized like oh wait like this isn't my approach this isn't what I need to do. He snapped out of it. And then he came into the game on Tuesday against the Nationals. And all of a sudden, he was back to that guy that we have seen over this first month where he's like thinking along with Max Scherzer. And he's executing his game plan, you know. And he's not deviating from it. If calls don't go his way or if he chases the pitch, he shouldn't. like Go back to that, like that game against Scherzer. Go back to the first plate appearance. When Vlad grounds into uh, a double play with Kevin Biggio on first, right? Yeah, because uh, Biggio bunted on, and then uh, Bichette made an out, and then and Vlad grounded into a, a double play. Like, look back to that plate appearance because that's what set the stage for everything else. Like, that's where Vlad like saw the slider, like measured it up, understood how it was moving. I believe he got beat on it a couple times, or like his his timing just wasn't quite right with it and i'm pretty sure he actually rolled over the slider to bounce into the double playground ball but he took that information and he carried it forward. So then that next plate appearance when he hits the grand slam, I mean, what's he getting? He's getting sliders. But now he's like digested that information. He understands the game plan. He understands what Scherzer's trying to do to him. So now he's like spitting on them, right? Now he's like taking them when they're outside the zone. He's not expanding. And he's not chasing. He carried that information forward. And then what does he hit out of the park in that next plate appearance? A slider. That is the ability like that is what is special about him is those in-game adjustments and even the between series adjustment that I was mentioning. But like the in-game adjustments against, like you said, inner circle Hall of Famer, like that's what makes him special because we all know he can hit the ball hard as hell. Like we all know that he can hit the ball over the fence. Like he's been able to do that since he was like 14. But thinking along with the best pitchers in
2: baseball, executing a game plan, that's the separator. This is what living up to the hype looks like, right? Because we all heard the stories and, uh, you know, saw the video clips at the very least. You know, you and I, Arden, were lucky enough to see Vladdy in spring training games or in the minor leagues and get a sense of who this incredible prospect was as he was rising through the ranks. And that's what led to all the hype. And that's why when he debuted two years ago, the expectations were immense, like like totally immense expectations for Vladdy. Um, But... This is what it looks like for him to live up to all of that, and he's looking like if you know we ta- heard from John Schneider, uh, major league coach on the Blue Jays over the weekend, and he's saying, yeah, this is what Vladdy looked like when he managed him in New Hampshire, and Vladdy had that incredible, incredible season. But the difference is now he's doing it against Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer and Tyler Glasnow, and still putting together these incredible offensive runs. Um, and, and it's it's not to say that this current 360 batting average OPS over 1,000, I'm not saying that's who Vladdy is, obviously. We're going to see stretches where he slumps, where he he tries to be the hero a little bit too much, like he might have done against the Rays, or he's banged up more than he is now. It's not always going to be like this, but for him to reach this gear in the major leagues, for him to even show it for one month, this is something that most players can never do, even for one month. And so for him to even demonstrate this, With the quality of contact, with the 115s off the bat, with the takes that you're talking about there against elite pitching, for him to show that, that tells us that he has incredible potential and the potential for more months like this lined up one after the other. Yeah, I was sitting, like, in offices in Dunedin, like, in New
1: Hampshire with John Schneider, like, back in the day when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was on those teams. These are the things that we were talking about, like, this sort of ability and this sort of approach. I remember talking to Bo Bichette, like, at Lansing about... Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and like the incredible things that like even at that age even when these guys were just like they're still kids but even when they were like really kids the things that they were seeing that they they couldn't believe Um, yeah it's all materializing in the big leagues now so again it's just a reminder little patience just like relax let things play out let things develop uh, baseball is a funny way of sorting itself out. Uh, speaking of patience, Blue Jays fans' patience may be being tested a little bit with George Springer's debut, which uh, keeps getting like so close and so close. we, you know, we, we keep hearing from from Charlie, yeah, maybe tomorrow. Oh, okay, we'll give him another day. Yeah, maybe after the off day, ah, he needs another day. We're recording this on uh, you know Wednesday morning, April 28th. Uh, you know, it seems uh, like it's a very strong possibility that George Springer is going to debut. Tonight in the second game of this two-game series against the Washington Nationals, but the existence we're living in right now, we don't know if that has or has not happened. Uh, but Ben, I mean, you know, how do you kind of look at this? Like the Blue Jays would not have wanted to go the first month of the season without George Springer, without you know, big off-season acquisition. That is a negative. But getting George Springer back to a place where he is feeling as healthy as possible and isn't going to have a reaggravation, isn't going to have a, a situation where you know throughout the season he's carrying something and it's getting progressively worse. That's something that you want as well. Like that is that's got to be a priority too. So where are you kind of at right now, and sort of the just how how the patience has been tested with waiting for uh, George Springer to to, to debut?
2: Yeah, it, it is it is interesting. I mean, I think they're almost two kind of two aspects to it one is the decision and the decision to me is really easy you just wait until he's healthy (laughs) like you're not going to rush him back he's he's way too important so you just wait until he's healthy and then there's the the reaction to it and you know I understand I think if Jays fans are frustrated if they're disappointed I get that I mean it's he's done literally nothing for this team and he was supposed to be you still will be a extremely important addition the Jays value him very very highly. That's why he was their top free agent target. That's why they're paying him 5 million dollars a month. So the Jays obviously would be disappointed to have this be the outcome. So I think frustration, disappointment, I see that, I get that. I think that makes sense. I mean, at the same time though, ultimately, where does it lead us? Like what other choice do the Blue Jays have? You're not, you know, you're not going to try to, you know, you're not going to try to run into this this feeling of disappointment and say, "Well, okay, we're going to Rush him back now because that will that will make our front office feel better. That will make our fans feel better. That will make Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. feel like no, you just got to wait till he's healthy. Um, you know, to me, it's really it's really that simple. Um, and I suspect that you might look at it the same way. Yeah, you know, it's we're still uh, so
1: so early in this season. Honestly, it's April 28th, right? Like we got six months, five months ahead of us here. Like if the Blue Jays get to the end of April. Just with where they're at right now. Like five hundred plus fifteen run differential. George Springer hasn't even played a game for you
2: yet. Yeah. That's fine. Vlad Junior looks like an MVP. Like you're you're doing okay
1: right like you know like you're gonna add george springer to this lineup in may and the nate pearson is gonna return hopefully some of your other you know pitchers get healthy like you know there's a lot of reasons to be like optimistic going forward you know this this month of april could have gone so much worse for the blue jays when you think about the injury adversity that that they've had i mean they've really needed like some like epically good and unexpected pitching (laughs) and run prevention to kind of get through this month where they're at and and they got it and that was a huge boon for them um so, yeah, if you're like, if you just kind of coast through the way you are now to the end of April and you're fine, George Springer comes back, and then all of a sudden, like that lineup gets a little bit deeper, pitching gets a little bit healthier. Um, you know, George Springer center field is probably going to improve your defense a little bit up the middle. Um, and then all of a sudden, you can kind of start building and try to take off and, and try to, you know, actually be well above 500 going forward so yeah i mean it's it's not ideal to have like look lost like five million dollars of your like investment george springer without him playing for the club but that is like month one of a six year deal. So there's gonna be a lot of George Springer in a blue chase uniform. And and we you know, look, when you're adding George Springer to your lineup, it's not like you're just waiting for, you know, Lourdes Goriel Jr. to come around at the plate. Like you were adding a like top fifteen MLB hitter to a lineup that currently is kind
2: of centered around a top three MLP hitter. That's really impactful. Absolutely. I mean yeah, Springer, it bears repeating because some of the frustration maybe overtakes some of the simple facts around George Springer, but he's one of the best players in baseball. Watching him uh, play for the Blue Jays should be really entertaining, you know, for for a long period of time. Does not mean, you know, because he dealt with the oblique and dealt with the quad, it does not mean he's broken. It does not mean he's damaged goods. He, by all the information, um, and I'm not saying that to you, Arden, because I, I, I know you used no, the I same way. But I mean, no, I was just laughing. Yeah, you hear that kind of um, line of thinking at times. He's from the information that we know. He should be back soon, and he should be a very, very impactful player for a team that's lineup will be that much better once he's back. I mean, it's going to be that long-awaited lengthening of the Blue Jays' order when you get Teoscar, when you get Springer back. It'll really be opening day 2.0, in a sense, for this ball club.
1: And I tend to think that the management of his workload and his playing time over the coming months, which is going to be a reality for the Blue Jays, because like we're dealing with soft tissue injuries here. So they're not going to want to like they're going to want to be careful there and and monitor his recovery and, and just kind of monitor his strength. Like, I think that workload management that we're going to see will kind of take care of any um reverberations down roster and any playing time fallout like do, do you agree with me on that like how do you think things are going to kind of play out here when Springer comes back and
2: is playing something close to every day yeah I I do agree I mean I think that you know Lourdes doesn't have to be playing every day at this point I mean it's I don't think you need to be moving things around just to get his bat in the lineup the way he's hitting. So maybe he's playing more like four days a week right now, you know, until someone else gets hurt, until something else comes up. Um, you know, Gritchuk does deserve to be playing every day, both defensively and offensively. He's been playing really well. So he's in there. Teoscar, he's coming back from a significant absence and trying to regain his strength. I mean, you're not necessarily going to play him seven days a week. Even if you want the bat in there, you've got to let him recover and readjust. So he'll need days off. telez gets days off. I just think, like, you know, it's almost... And this applies to pitching, too, because the Jays perpetually need more pitching. They need more pitching now. They will need more pitching on July 31st. They always need more pitching. That's just something that's always true. And I think on the same lines you never have too many bats like you know you might think okay they've got so many position players it never really works out that way they're (laughs) always going to find ways to get these guys in there so i think um it's a great problem to have and one that seems to be approaching them in the next week or two yeah every time you hear the word
1: log jam you see the word log jam and copy just replace it with the word depth Yeah, that's what it is. It's like, oh, we have too many good players. We have too many players that are deserving of playing time. Whatever are we going to do? Like, this is the problem that good teams have. The Dodgers have this problem. The Dodgers have used like twenty-three different lineups in twenty-four games. They have had five different players at each outfield spot get starts this year. So, like, just think about that. Like, this is you know what the Blue Jays are trying to get towards. Like, if everyone is healthy. And everyone is performing well, amazing. You get to now optimize your lineup every night against the opposition's pitcher. And you get to adequately manage workload so that players hold up over the course of the season that they don't have performance declines. On the other hand, if somebody's slumping, if one of those like many players that you have for however many spots isn't performing well, cool. You can award playing time to the players who earn it, to the players who deserve it, like Randall Gritchuk. And maybe Loris Gurriel Jr. doesn't deserve as much of it right now. And maybe that's a different conversation on May 15th than it is here on April 28th. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's this is great. I, I think the one interesting thing to watch will be Kevin Biggio because he has been playing a lot of right field. Lately, so you gotta think like Spierer comes back, goes in the center. Grichuk shifts over to to playing a lot of right. I mean, you're also gonna have Teoscar Hernandez in that mix as well. Don't think we're gonna see so many Cavan Biggio plate appearances or starts coming um, in the outfield. I and mean, you have all you know all of your outfielders healthy and and playing. That probably means more Cavan Biggio back at third base. So like it seems like right now over the last sort of like six or seven games, the Blue Jays have kind of like lessened. Kevin Biggio's playing time at third base I think that's actually going to come back around once they've got Springer and Hernandez healthy assuming they don't suffer any other injuries in the outfield agreed
2: agreed and we've seen I mean Biggio started since um, since we talked about this last week he started four of six games in right field so that's an indication that whether it's the hand whether it's trying to give him a break whether it's just that the Jays saw some of the same things that we did and didn't want him out there at third as they're as their best defensive defensive option there, which clearly he's not. Whatever the reason is, he was playing a lot of right field. And I agree, once those guys come back, he gets bumped back to the infield. And I asked him about this the other day, how he kind of balances that. And he's saying that basically he's preparing for both, trying to be ready for right field, but still very much preparing for third base. So I think we'll see him at third for now. And this was you know, kind of an interesting topic last week when they weren't scoring. That's what people talked about. Totally.
1: That's when we talk about defense. When you're not scoring, that's when we talk about defense.
2: Right. And of course, I mean, you see Biggio, Bichette continue to sometimes have these struggles. But it it, it bears watching whether they're scoring or not, because we know they're going to play tight games at various points in the course of the season. And I don't think Biggio is a very good third baseman based on what we've seen so far this year. But at the same time, he's their best option. So it doesn't mean that it's time to totally jump ship and say that, you know, he can never play third base again. Baseball fans hate it when you make a, a hockey analogy
1: with, with baseball, but like spare me this one, allow me this one. It's like sure. that, like that hockey game that you lose like, you know, I don't know, like two to one and your goalie like stopped 34 or 36. But one of the ones they let in was kind of soft. And everybody talks about, oh, the goalie let in that like really soft goal. Uh well, hey, you know how you could have like fixed that? Uh you could have scored more goals. You could have produced more offensively. To me, that's what was happening with like the Blue Jays' defense being as much of a topic as it was for the last, I don't know, week or two, whatever it was. So the team wasn't scoring. Like This team doesn't have a run prevention problem. Like Their run prevention actually is great. The Blue Jays have allowed the fewest runs in the American League. They're doing a great job of preventing runs. They've allowed the third fewest runs in MLB. They have a plus 15 run differential, which is fourth in the AL and sixth in the MLB they like they're fine with preventing runs scoring runs was the problem nine of the blue jays 11 losses have been by two runs or less so if the blue jays had just scored more runs in those games they would have obviously won more of them, but we wouldn't have talked about these miscues as much as we have. We It would have been like a back end of ATL topic, sure. like an odds and ends, like kind of, uh, oh, hey, like Boba shet has been a little shaky at short. Like, what's going on there? It wouldn't have been like, hey, we're going to spend 15 minutes on this up front, and this is going to be a whole the Blue Jays can't win with this infield defense, and they got to make moves, and like all this crap that you've seen. They weren't scored runs. That was the problem. All of a sudden, Vlad breaks out, or not breaks out, he was hitting really well anyway, but like Vlad has a massive game against Washington. Blue Jays score a bunch of runs, nobody's talking about defense anymore, because they're scoring enough runs. Like, defense is for teams that can't hit. Defense is for teams that can't afford hitters. And this team can hit, or at least it should hit. So that like the defense thing, I will be happy to see that no longer be such a primary topic around this team because it's not the issue. The
2: defense, the issue was scoring, not preventing runs. I mean, it's possible for two issues to exist at once, and I think that the scoring no. was definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the scoring was definitely the bigger issue. I would disagree with the idea that defense is for teams that can't hit, and I know you're probably saying that somewhat tongue in cheek, but. Defense does matter. I mean, there, there are going to be games, even if you're a team that on the aggregate is one of the best offensive teams in baseball, and we believe the Blue Jays to be one of those types of teams, there are going to be games for any team, even an offensive a powerhouse, that are two to one or three to two or four to three. And you've got to have good defense in those games. You've got to support your pitching better than the Jays did. And I think that their decision to move Biggio mostly to right field reflects some of the same concern that you know you and i were discussing that a lot of listeners and and readers have have expressed that look the results were not good enough from biggio and it's not to say you totally throw him under the bus it's more to say it's kind of along the lines of the lineup you just dial it back a little bit same way bo got his first day off of the season since we last recorded um at shortstop just dial it back let semi and play let bo dh here and there it's not to say that it's an on off switch and it's just this binary is he the shortstop? Is he not? But I still think that there are ways to minimize, you know, Biggio's time at third base, for example. I, I don't know that you want him starting seven days out of seven based on what we've seen. And I, I do think it's, a, it's not as big a concern as the offense. Absolutely true. But I still think that's a, a concern for this team moving forward. Would you say that defensive run saved is like a, a fairly like good
1: metric by which to evaluate defense? Um, I don't know where you're trying to lead me here,
2: but um, I I know you, what I've seen this year. I know what I've seen is defensive run saved. Like it's it's generally accepted as a strong, absolutely defensive in a full metric, season. Right? I think if you look at full season DRS, you're you're in a good spot. I'd love to look at full season DRS.
1: 2020, the Blue Jays were a bottom ten defensive team. Full season DRS went to the postseason. You know who else was a bottom 10 defensive team by full season DRS in 2020? The Atlanta Braves and the New York Yankees and the Oakland Athletics, who all played in the divisional series. In 2019, the New York Yankees and Minnesota Twins were bottom 10 teams by season-long DRS, and they played each other in the American League divisional series. Defense is for teams that can't hit. This team can hit, and the defense is not as much of an issue as it's been made out to be.
2: Poor defense does not doom a team to the bottom of the standings. But any team with poor defense should be looking to improve it. And that includes those teams you just mentioned, and it includes the Blue Jays. So that doesn't mean, again, looking to improve it might mean ground balls with Luis Rivera. I don't think it makes sense to just jump ship on these guys, but I don't think it makes sense to give them a blank slate and to just punt on defense either. It's also April 28th. Like we got to remember, and this has been the theme of the first half of the
1: podcast, patience, just relax, let it play out. Tuesday night, right? Vlad has this massive game. Is all anybody's talking about. Uh, Kevin Biggio also had three hits in that game. He added 41 points to his batting average, 24 points to his on base, and 33 to his slug. That is like a 60-point swing in OPS in one game now all of a sudden the ops plus is like creeping up back up towards 100 it's well over 90 the like waiter runs created plus is creeping back up towards league average like all of a sudden Kevin Biggio who was like this offensive disaster apparently for the first few weeks uh is all of a sudden just looking like Kevin Biggio again
0: there's a liner off the glove of Harrison Kirk had to go back and now he's gonna go into second and he beats the throw Kavan Bisio is two for two. They were playing him in the shift. Harrison had a shot at it, but it tipped off the end of his glove and went into right field. This ball's covered by Kavan. I mean, he's all over that 2-0 fastball.
1: Relax. Harrison- Be patient. Let things play out. Like I feel like sometimes people like, still think it's a 60-game season. Like, we're not doing that again. It's 162. It's six months again. You gotta remember it's baseball. You gotta let things play out like let's talk in like i don't know let's talk on canada day about how guys seasons are are playing out let's not talk on friggin 420 about what the numbers look like for for players like they they can tell us what has
2: happened but it's way too early to draw these these broad conclusions that you see yeah, it's a tough job for those uh, GMs and executives and coaches who have to react on the fly and um, even they sometimes make mistakes with it. That's why you don't see trades this time of year, right? right.
1: That's that's why you don't see big transactions right now because like those front offices are all still evaluating like they're still, you know, they want to take like two months to kind of figure out what they have wasn't, is that like, was that Billy Bean's quote? It was like you take two months to figure out what you have two months to fix it and then two months to see how it plays out. Yeah. There's some there's a quote like that for yeah. Billy Bean and that's basically what's happening which is fair i think that's a fair approach yeah totally uh step away but when we continue we will talk more blue jays on at the letters It continues on at the letters are in swelling. Ben Nicholson Smith, our producers Christian Ryan, Mike DeSoni, and Ben. It is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Lite. This has kind of been the topic du jour this week. After Madison Bumgarner, of all people, uh, threw a, a no hitter. Period. <laughs> You're tipping your hand already. Do you agree that Maz Bumgarner threw
2: a no-hitter? End of sentence. Well, uh, the very short answer is yes, I agree. Um, I I think as long as there are seven-inning games in baseball, I mean, you can have a seven-inning no-hitter, I think. I mean, just in the same way that, you know, we have seen no-hitters get broken up in the 10th inning. And so a no-hitter then is not, did you throw nine no-hit innings? It's did you no-hit the opposition for the duration of the game, whether that game is nine innings or 10 or seven. So to me, the answer is yes. Now, if we're uncomfortable with that, which I kind of am, then maybe we should rethink seven-inning games. Let's say for argument's sake, there was a baseball game that went 18 innings and someone had 10 plate appearances and he hit five home runs. I mean, he got more chances, but it's still the first five home run game in Major League Baseball history. To me, the short answer, yes, it it should be a no-hitter. Just for anybody
1: who somehow missed this, like Massive Bumgarner threw a no-hitter in a seven-inning game. There's been a lot of debate as to whether it should be actually qualified as a no-hitter. I think MLB is calling it like a special achievement or something. Like they gave him some sort of like a a little ribbon that you're like a little trophy you would give a child. It's a no-hitter. You agreed going into the game that the game was going to be seven innings and then Masbum Garner pitched all 7 innings without allowing a hit. That's a no-hitter. He would have come back out for the 8th if there was going to be an 8th inning, if there were more batters to face, he would have faced them and he would have thrown them his uh, somewhat underwhelming stuff with that like delivery that is like painful to watch. <laughs> this like that guy must be pitching through some serious problems with his shoulder, rotator cuff or something. Like that delivery does not look nice, like, does not look good. Like, he almost, like, his arm is almost, like, static as he, like, there's just not a lot of motion in it. He almost just kind of, like, (laughs) hurls the ball with this, like, straight arm. It's very odd to to watch. Uh, But it was effective on that day. And I really don't know, like, who takes joy out of, like, trying to Um, remove this accomplishment from him or to like qualify it like i don't know who these people are who like in order to sleep well at night they need there to be an asterisk on it or like there need there to be like parentheses seven next to it for the integrity of of the game and to keep things consistent with the record books and like just let the guy he threw a no hitter Let them have the no-hitter. It's a great accomplishment. Let them play. Let them have fun. Let them
2: celebrate however they want to. Uh, I I just don't understand the impulse. Yeah. I mean, look, is it as impressive as throwing a no-hitter for 9? No, obviously not. And 10 would be more impressive. And 11 would be more impressive than that. So, obviously, the more innings you throw without allowing a hit, the more impressive it gets. I actually... I don't mind the idea of parentheses. I hadn't heard that one until you mentioned it right now. I don't like an asterisk, and this is kind of absurd because we're just arguing over what punctuation to use. And, I mean, at that point, you've kind of lost yourself. But I actually think parentheses could be fine, personally. But, you know, I, I understand just not wanting to qualify it, too.
1: Sure. I don't know.
2: Maybe all games should be seven innings. I can think about that. It's not the craziest thing. Like, almost like Test Cricket, the way they shortened it. Um... Yeah. It's not the craziest. Uh, That's an idea that I am like
1: increasingly like thinking is an inevitability, even. Like if you really want to shorten games, you know, like you can do all this little like stuff on the margins. Every pitcher's gotta face three batters, and maybe we can shave like fifteen seconds off the commercial time and oh we're no longer gonna throw like four intentional balls on an intentional walk. Like it's all ticky tacky stuff, man, and I think the time of game is actually up this year uh so if you meaningfully want to shorten baseball games which like baseball might actually need to do going forward maybe just play seven innings Maybe you just kind of like admit that look like the, you know, not only from like a uh, entertainment standpoint to make the game more appealing to a younger audience, but also just from like a durability standpoint that like you're just kind of like understanding that today's athletes are different and today's game is just played like at an intensity that is a lot higher um, than it has been in the past and and pitchers are throwing a lot harder and hitters are swinging a lot harder. Um, You're going to keep players healthier and you're going to actually raise the quality of the product if you have less baseball. Uh, and so if you only have like a, you know, 140 game season of seven inning games, I understand like you're, there's going to be a reduction in overall baseball played in the quantity of baseball. But I think actually the quality of baseball that is played would be higher. And uh, I think you would appeal to a broader audience as well, which is something that baseball probably needs to start thinking about doing uh, going forward.
2: Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think it's an idea worth considering. So, and I don't know where I land on it. I don't think I have a, you know, a, a stance, I guess, on that right now. I th- think there's a concern that if you were, if Major League Baseball were to go to seven innings, then basically the late inning bullpen shuffle that we now see would just start taking place in the third or fourth, and we would still have that interminable parade of relievers that slows the game down. So that's one consideration. A way around that that I think is kind of interesting is designating four or five pitchers per game that are eligible, regardless of the duration of the game. And uh, that's an interesting one. I heard the guys on Good Show talking about that, where, you know, if you go four or five pitchers per game, I think that could actually work. And I think most importantly, like some of the studies that I've heard cited suggest that the biggest reason that the games are longer now than they used to be 30, 40 years ago is because of the time in between pitches. So if we want to have shorter games, pitch clock in place and make sure that, sorry, you know, Vladdy, sorry, George Springer, you don't get to adjust your batting gloves. You don't get to step out and look down at the third base coach between every single pitch. And the pitchers have to keep that cadence up. Personally, I would start with a pitch clock to keep the pace of between pitches going and then I would go to limiting the number of pitches. And then if those didn't work, I would think about seven inning games. I don't think the seven inning games are gonna to lead to more
1: pitching changes. There's gonna to lead to more bullpenning. Um, look, Madison yep. Bumgarner just went seven innings. Like, uh, But like, also we are seeing that already. Like, with, like yep. Bullpenning is already here in the nine inning game. So like, we, you've already got that issue. It's more of an existential thing with baseball really right and just like how is going to stay relevant uh you know in 2021 and beyond baseball like it seems like it's uh, some of the decision makers are still think that we live in the era where like you 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 had like four things on tv at once and those are your only options and one of them was a baseball game. So you just watch that, right? Like people have so many more options now, like for for entertainment. Baseball is an entertainment product, never forget that. And so anything you want to watch in the world is just a click away on demand at all times. It wasn't always like that, but that's how it is in today's hyper-connected world. So baseball just doesn't have as much of a share of kind of like the greater entertainment landscape As it once did, people have more options. And so people are saying, hey, I'm not going to sit down and watch a four hour slog and watch a four hour ball game. So I do think that, like, existentially, baseball at some point is going to have to adapt and evolve going forward to make its product more appealing to a broader audience. Because look, they have us, Ben, right? Like, we're hooked. We're hooked. I'm always going to watch baseball. I'm going to love 10 pitch plate appearances that, like, take seven minutes and don't end up with the ball in play like i'm gonna love long games like i'm here for x ratings like i'm here for all of that but like they have us and they can only have us and this can be like a niche product for just like a very small amount of people but if you want to continue to be as popular and as like kind of broad reaching as it has been in the past and make you know maximize profits inevitably right like and make as much money as possible you have to start appealing to that more broad casual audience And I don't know that the product is presently constituted is doing that. Might just have to make it shorter and go seven innings.
2: Yeah, I I think it's a possibility on the table because absolutely, you know, as much as baseball has been around for way longer than our whole lives, you know, it's going back 120 years to the, to the founding of the American league, right? Like that's a huge amount of history, but I don't think that there's a guarantee that baseball is as prominent and prevalent as it is now in 2061, as it is in 2021. Um, and so as an industry, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that there are some real questions that they have to address here. I think that's that's real. I think they do have to figure some things out. And ultimately it comes down to making the product as good as possible and making it accessible. So there's a blackout question. I mean, obviously here in Canada, it's different. It's still a significant question in Canada, but in the states there's so many overlapping blackout regions that's a problem you got to make sure that people can watch your product you know if you're if if your product is is Fortnite like i don't think they have blackouts like you're they're making it available to people right you got to make it you got to allow yeah. that uh, those relationships to to build for the next generation it's kind of funny right like uh coming out of the whole dodgers
1: padres series on the weekend and everything that happened in in that one i mean the last thing we talked about coming out of that was the actual game like, you know what I mean? Like the last thing we talked about was like pitch selection or like different guys of plans at the plate or strategy. Like we were talking about all the ancillary stuff, right? The drama, right? The celebrations, did he peek at the signs, like Trevor Bauer's comments, like all this stuff. Like it kind of says something about where people's heads are at with this game, like with sports in general, like people just want to be entertained. Like they just want, like, so just give them the, the entertainment or they're going to watch something else. Like I said, you know, I love watching Trevor Bauer and Fernando Tatis like battling in a plate appearance and going back and forth. And like, you know, when are you going to throw your slider? And how are you going to establish your fastball? And how's, you know, what's Tatis reading from what Bauer is giving him? And how are they making adjustments plate appearance to plate appearance? That's super interesting to me and fascinating to me, but I think only to me <laughs> because I think most people actually just care about like, the personalities and the drama and, uh, you know, just kind of all the ancillary
2: stuff going on around it. Yeah, I, you know, I think that you certainly would have a unique viewpoint where you can, you can look at it and sustain yourself just by looking at that at bat, right? You don't need additional commentary. You don't need someone yeah. to walk you through that. But I do think that other people find those same things interesting. And a lot of the time, it's just at a level that's a bit removed from us. And so, even though we would find it interesting, there's almost this missing piece between it, which hopefully you and I and others in the media can help bridge that gap at times. Um, but I think about someone like John Boy, who spells things out in such an accessible way, you know, where he's breaking down a conflict on the field that you can kind of sense something's going on, but until he shows up with, you know, lip reading or whatever else, then, oh, I actually really understand what happened here. I'm really drawn into it, and now I want to watch the next game. I mean, that is, is great stuff. Of course, you know, we, we do have um, people at Sportsnet who, who break that down for the Jays as well, and that's great. Um, but I think that in those moments where you can feel closer to it, I'm thinking of Mike Trout being mic'd up, Recently in a game in Houston at Minute Maid Park. It's amazing. And it's just ordinary mundane conversations that Mike Trout's having. But it's so cool to hear his interactions.
1: Oh! Oh! That ball hit that dude in the chest. Oh my. That hurt, huh?
2: To anyone who ever throws out the baseball's boring stuff. Like, it's not boring at all. It's just that sometimes what we see of it can feel repetitive and boring. But the actual sport that's happening between the lines at field level, and you know we're a little bit re- removed from this right now, but whenever we're there spring training, whenever we're there pregame, you're there, you're seeing it, it's not boring. It is a very, very huh. interesting sport. And so it's just a question of bridging that gap and doing a better job of connecting the people who want to know what Mike Trout is saying, who want to know what's going on between a pitcher and a catcher and an umpire and that actual on-field interaction so we need to have people and institutions that bridge that gap completely agree with everything that you just said two things off of it number one john boy had a great
1: idea in a recent video i watched of his which was uh like somewhere along the little the the little bug or whatever you call it have like what pitches were thrown The plate appearance Hmm. start him with a slider and then he went to a fastball and then it was a slider and another slider and then have like this one was fouled off and that one was taken like it would be it might get a little cluttered on the screen but just like having that pitch history of the plate appearance so that you like kind of know how this thing has progressed and played out would be really good for fans i think i make it really accessible because i know when i watch games like i'm buried in savant i'm buried in game day because i'm looking at where was that pitch what was the velo like you know if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is 10 pitches into a plate appearance. I'm trying to, you know, I'm going back to see, okay, what's he already seen? Where has it been? Like, I'm trying to divide, you know, understand approaches and attack plans and things like that. But I have to go to a second thing to get that information. So it'd be great if it was just on the screen. Number two off of that, baseball has some like tremendously entertaining players right now. And I don't know that they do the best job of expressing that to people. Jacob DeGrom is absurd like insane you when you're watching this guy pitch like you were watching somebody who was taken pitching to like another level that we have just never seen before with the things that he is doing Shohei Otani you are watching when you watch him play one of the most special athletes on the planet regardless of sport like you are watching a true unicorn like you are watching some somebody who is doing things that just are not done. And like prior to now, like it seemed inconceivable that somebody could hit the way he is hitting and pitch the way he is pitching simultaneously. Obviously, baseball has had two way players before. It hasn't had two way players who are like throwing a hundred and also hitting freaking 115 mile an hour missiles uh, and being one of the most like one of the most dominant uh, overpowering pitchers in the league while one of the most imposing power threats at the plate as well. Mike Trout. When you were watching Mike Trout right now, every night, you're watching like Prime Barry Bonds, like Lou Gehrig, whoever your guy is. Like you were watching somebody who's going to go down as one of the best baseball players of all time might go down as the best and he's playing every night so think about how often you think like man i wish i could have like experienced you know gehrig's prime right like man i wish you know when barry bonds was like the most feared hitter on the planet i could have been watching every night you could do that right now tonight every night mike trout on an mlb field on your tv on your tablet on your phone one of the best ball players to ever do it
2: is playing every single night and i i don't know that that is getting across to people in the way that it should oh yeah it's it's great and i mean we were saying before um just how obviously for the 7 to 10 p.m window jays are clearly the team that you and i are watching but later in the in the evening those angels and dodgers games are the ones that i gravitate to so i've been watching a ton of angels and um you know you see Trout, you see Otani on the same team as Albert Pujols, who's you know still hitting bombs. You've got Jared Walsh, who's kind of another two way player in his own right. So it's just such a fun team to watch um, every night. I think Otani is incredible and Degrom too. But I mean, to me, Otani is just so amazing. Like you watch his uh, ability with the bat, and he is. A dominant offensive force. Uh, I love that he'll also drop down a bunt. He'll also steal a base. He uses his speed to great effect. And then watching him pitch, uh, like, it's a very different experience. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, But he doesn't also throw strikes. So it's kind of like, it's one of those experiences where you're like, okay, you're kind of wild, but then he'll get it together for four innings and just be dominant. So this stuff is incredible. 92 mile an hour splitters. So, there's so much talent in the game. And I think the talent, too, within the last five, six years has started to feel more comfortable truly expressing itself. I mean, you think about the Tatis and Bauer exchange, that wouldn't have happened five, six years ago. It could not have uh, because players were told, maybe not in so many words, but they were essentially told not to express themselves in that way. And then, you know, the Batista bat flip, of course, a reference point for any Blue Jays fan. Um, but also for all of Major League Baseball. And that was a a turning point for the sport. When you think about how frowned on that was in a winner-take-all playoff game at home for Batista to show the emotion that he did. And now in a regular season game in April, Tatis goes out there, shows way more emotion, goes way (laughs) further toward, you know, quote-unquote showing Trevor Bauer up. Although, you know, no one seems to see it that way, which is great. But he goes way further down that line. And then all right, that was fun. Moving on, you know, it's not something that everyone needs to rage at Fernando Tatis Jr. over. No, there's bat flips in every game these days, right? Which is great, which is yeah. amazing. You can
1: watch like any so like Wednesday night like Reds Marlins game or whatever. He'll, somebody will flip a bat. Yeah, you know, like there will be somebody will celebrate something. And yeah, it's like just the amount of wasted time and the discourse over the bat flip with Jose Bautista at the time. Who cared? And now, really, who cares? Who's mad? If you're mad about that, if you're mad about players celebrating, like maybe sports isn't for you, you know? Like maybe you'd prefer a good book or (laughs) like a Netflix series about chess or something. Like go do something else, man. Like let us have fun. What do you care? Why do you got to be such a killjoy? Who's not enjoying seeing Fernando Tatis and Trevor Bauer, like two of the best Most compelling young players in the sport going back and forth and being adversarial and competing and like uh, having a little bit of piss and vinegar and a little animosity and a little fun, like, and just being competitors and being the best at what they do and letting each other know it. Like, I don't understand what's not to enjoy about that. I don't know if MLB is ever gonna someday be like, you know, KBO, where it's like guys are bat flipping walks. <laughs> you know, a guy like hits a homer and like launches his, his bat into like the 10th row or whatever. But the more that, the better. It makes the game more appealing, it makes it more fun, and it's gonna help keep this game popular among people.
2: Yeah, and so, and so the ingredients are there, right? They've got this great sport, they've got these great athletes. The interactions on the ground level are really compelling. So it's a question of showing that better and making sure that the fans can access that and understand it. And so they're not in such a bad spot here, but they do need to make changes to take steps to, to make sure that fans can enjoy the, this sport because there is there is a lot there to enjoy. I suppose we should talk about the Blue Jays here on our Toronto Blue Jays podcast a little bit. If Nate Pearson
1: just gets a nice little stretch of like health and where he's feeling good and feeling like himself and he's within his delivery and everything's like working the way it should... Uh, I think fans will finally get to see like what the hype is about with him like the the, the Vladdy uh, comparison is an apt one because it could be kind of like a bit of a, a similar arc where it's you know it gets to the majors struggles a little bit some health concerns you know takes a second to kind of like kind of find his footing fans starting to you know, scratch their heads a little bit like what, what are you all talking about with this guy what's he so what do you mean he's special just watch if he gets healthy and he gets a nice gets into a nice rhythm and a nice routine just watch what this guy is gonna do because he has exceptional stuff and he has a ton of potential but like you said just give it some time let's be a little bit patient and remember like Degrom is a great example of this. It, development doesn't stop when you get to the big leagues. You don't get to the big leagues as a finished product. Like you, 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 you keep getting better and you keep finding ways to do better. It's a whole new level. Like that jump from Triple A to the majors is huge. The if you're a pitcher, the hitters here are like so, so, so much better. Um, like who's that? I don't even remember his name, but the reliever that Vlad hit his third homer off of on Tuesday night was like throwing 97 mile an hour sinkers, right? Like really good stuff. And that guy probably is really good in the minors. They get to the majors where like 97 mile an hour sinkers don't necessarily play if you leave them on the plate. Cause there's guy's like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. here. who are gonna crush those pitches. So you, you gotta like, just give it a second and give it some time. Very much looking, uh, looking forward to seeing Nate Pearson back on a mound, though. Yeah,
2: exactly. And to me, what I'll be looking for is is throwing strikes. Like, can he locate pitches within the zone? Um, because it doesn't matter how good you are, like how good your stuff is, if you're if you're throwing balls. We saw it last night with Rowdy Tellez four pitches off Scherzer. Like, it just if if you're not in the zone, it doesn't matter. So Pearson, you know, I would be inclined to just give him another start, like not just the one on Thursday. I would give him another rehab start. And not I bet you he does another. Yeah. No, I bet you he does. Because he didn't look good in the first one. That's that's what Charlie Montoyo heard. And you can look at the line, he allowed five runs. You know, it's not you gotta get him to a point where he can succeed before you're rushing him back. So you know, we'll see. Maybe he's pinpoint on Thursday and and it makes sense to get him back. But either way, probably looking at uh, you know, a couple weeks from now, Pearson, Pearson could very well be back in that mix. Maybe you got them into one of these minor league games. They're about
1: to start up. It's kind of been under the radar a little bit, but uh, May 2nd, minor leagues going to start up minor league baseball for the first time in like two years (laughs) that we've seen minor league baseball. It's going to be cool, man. Like we haven't seen a lot of these young Blue Jays prospects play. So like, where's Jordan Groshans at? You know how's alec manoa looking like hey let's see austin martin in a professional game for the first time in his life like a non-spring training game like it's just gonna be cool to see some of these players like compete and play, like I understand teams have kind of found ways to like recreate game like environments and atmospheres and they've had scrimmages and intra squads and and all these things, live BPs and all that. But like, I can't tell you how many of these young guys I've talked to who are like, that only does so much. Like there is just a certain juice to an actual game and to that actual competition. You need real games to get better and to test yourself and to know where you're at, to know as a pitcher how your stuff's playing, Know as a hitter, just where your swing is at. Uh, and I think we're yeah, you know, we've gone well beyond the point where like it's a detriment to development,
2: the lack of like games these guys have had to play. So it's gonna be cool to see that get started back up. Oh, for sure. And the Jays have some really good prospects too. That's one of the reasons this team is is really interesting now, is they have guys who are maybe close to the majors. I mean, Alec Manoa, Austin Martin, Jordan Groshans, these guys aren't necessarily that far away. So for some of them, like Austin Martin, it will be their first taste of the minor leagues. It'll be fun to see what they can do. And, you know, to have those daily box scores or updates coming in, I, I think it'll be fun to be able to track. And, and, of course, beyond those guys, there are always players who emerge out of seemingly nowhere. And that's in a year where yes. you play, uh, you know, where you, you've played on a consistent basis. Now, after a full gap, we're going to see more players boom and bust than normal no to see somebody get to like go from
1: off the map to like oh all of a sudden this guy took some strides again right to like to see like a uh i don't know like a chavez young go on like a two-month hot streak and be like oh hey maybe he's something or like joey murray right like think of what like you know joey murray did in uh, i guess would have been 2019. like to see somebody who like is not regarded as like a you know blue chip can't miss prospect really make a name for themselves. Like they, like players like that just haven't had that opportunity, right? To like, to kind of prove it, to show it in games, right? So, you know, Adam Klofenstein, you know, to, to show like really like a guy with great stuff, like a really promising young pitching prospect just hasn't had games, right? He's pitching in the Constellation Energy League and in Indie Ball, right? Just to get games in. Uh, it just, players having that opportunity again to really show you know, their development and to show how far they've come. Because remember, at that age, we are talking about like 20-year-olds, development can come quick, man. It can happen very, very fast, particularly in the minors. You know, these guys are still physically developing, you know, velo increases, uh, you know, all, all kinds of cool stuff can happen. So getting a sense of some of the Blue Jays' young catchers, right? Like, what's Gabby Moreno look like? How's, you know, Riley Adams' game power um, coming across at, at A? Like, it's just going to be cool to get some of that some of that data and some of that
2: information uh, and just kind of start figuring some things out. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be great. I think it's, yeah, next week they, they get started. Um, and so even more baseball, um, you know, after making that jump from 60 games to 162 in the majors and then zero to now full minor league slate, it'll be nice to have all that back.
1: That's it for us on at The Letters. Talk to you next week. Taking us out is a Toronto artist who has been on a mission putting out track after track the last two years from his latest album here's Trey West with Smell the Roses
0: Raise your hands for me if you love life if it's ever love loss at least you love, right. you love right you got a good heart and people seem to want a piece and you ain't got no time for problems in these ever you Raise your hands for me if you love love and you believe in getting bitten by a love bug you keep a pretty smile at, hopes that and hope people it. talk about and it you could kill him with your looks and put some chalk around a yeah. back raise your hands for me if you stepping out. You stepping G out. so tight, it you got your body screaming. let me out. You know you bad, so you don't let nobody stress you out. And you done showed up with your dogs, I couldn't let them out. out. Raise your hands for me, raise your hands raise for your me. going put, put on something pretty, do a dance for don't me. Like ever since this pandemic, had a man stressing, I had to stop and smell the roses, count some damn blessings. Baby, tell me when you know i love. you bad as ever. I would drive a hundred miles just to see you in the baddest weather. Couldn't stop me, besides you got the just look about this, you just couldn't copy. And girl, you taste like cinnamon raisin bread with the butter right next to morning coffee. You know, I love that shit. Truth is, if you get any hotter, I need other miss. Just to touch your body Be they If she had a button, I'd be touching it. And that's where the vibes. Let me put you on a vibe. Take away from all the things that stress your life. I know she just wanna drive up in the four door so she can fit a child. And they can roll to every spot they go on style. I know she just wants some good. This man was hood rich, but wouldn't leave hood. And that's something she ain't good with, she always says the right things, shorty work a job so she always in the store shopping, never really worried about the pricing, in some tight jeans that make her look good, I don't even read much, I swear she in my good books, Jenny from the block, she got a hood look, a bad thing, flexed on them heavy butt, that never was a bad thing, she told me was she wasn't mad, she still demand things, school day she ran things, her whole fan group was on a sad thing, every house party with the henny out, problems couldn't stress them out. she been feeling Liddy got a